Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 188. My name is Terry Frost and this time around I'm doing something very different. For a start, I'm looking at three movies. And for a second thing, they are adult films. The first one is, of course, the classic Deep Throat starring Linda Lovelace. Then we move on to Behind the Green Door starring Marilyn Chambers and on to The Devil in Miss Jones starring Georgina Spelvin. All of them are important because of their place in history. Uh, I'm going to look at them, see how they show in the 21st century context and maybe um, put a ranking on which one I think works best, which one I think works second best and which one I think works least best. So sit back, relax, um, put on some waka chika waka chika music and I'll get the show started after the contact details. Paleo Cinema Podcast appears every two weeks. It's a podcast of classic film appreciation. The rules are pretty easy to remember. Each episode is talk about two movies in it and the movies have to be over 20 years old. Apart from that, they can be of any genre. Podcasts thrive on feedback, so you can send emails or MP3 voicemails to cultguru at gmail.com. That's K-U-L-T-G-U-R-U. You can go over to the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook or take a look at paleo-cinema.blogspot.com. iTunes reviews are also welcome. To support the podcast financially, you can head over to patreon.com slash paleocinema. I'd like to acknowledge the Korong Jung Baluk and Mapiang Baluk people, the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording the podcast, and pay my respects to their elders, both past and present. This podcast may contain adult words and concepts, so if you play it with small children around, expect to answer some uncomfortable questions later. Okay, so how is everybody going? Um, I had a weird week, actually. Uh, I had a few kind of health issues to deal with nothing major so please don't panic about it uh but just kind of things i had to do some maintenance on some kind of looking after myself depression issues things like that uh and i'm okay now i'm, I'm doing fine i got enough sleep i got enough rest to kind of work through what was worrying me and um it also gave me the opportunity to see a lot of movies which kind of mixed blessing depending on the movies of course but nonetheless i did watch a few of them let me have bring up the letterboxed and remind myself what they were uh, of course i did the three movies for the podcast which was kind of an interesting process but i'll talk more about that when i talk about the movies themselves uh i did see gods of egypt alex Preuss's gods of egypt very controversial kind of fantasy film sent in ancient egypt with egyptian gods uh, Gerard Butler's in it and a bunch of other people some Australian actors as well because Alex Preuss though he was born in Egypt himself is an Australian director he knows Sydney pretty well in fact I was having a chat with him on Facebook name dropping uh, about different burger joints in Newtown in, in Sydney uh, seems a very nice guy and I think he's been profoundly affected by the negative publicity around Gods of Egypt they kind of um, the argument is that he whitewashed um, Egyptian legends and had Caucasian actors in a number of roles. Now, 
The, I, can, I can understand the argument. I really can understand the argument. And I think the goal of that argument to cast appropriately for the race of a particular group of people is one that has a lot of lot going for it. I'm very much in favour of it. The thing is that uh, this was a passion project for Proyas, being Egyptian-born as he is for a long time. It was made here in Australia. Um, and leaving aside the whitewashing issue, which, um, I, as I said, I do understand, I do respect, it's not a bad little fantasy film. I quite enjoyed it. It's got some over-the-top special effects. Uh, the special effects are pretty well. They're medium good. Um, it's got some a universe based on... Egyptian mythology which is really a lot of fun the way the sun rises and sets and the reason it rises and sets over the flat earth of Egyptian mythology is really cool um Jeffrey Rush plays Ra the sun god and he has a lot to do with how the sun rises and sets and um and it creates a very much different universe being true to the mythology of ancient Egypt now even though None of the characters are played by Egyptian actors. I think it shows a lot of respect for the mythology of um, ancient Egypt. And it looks very cool. It's, it's worth checking out for that reason. Again, I respect the um, the beliefs of people who think that the movie should have been cast differently. Totally respect that, and I totally understand it. And I, to a large extent, I agree to it. But nonetheless, this movie is cool. It does. Um, it's quite unlike other films of its type and so it's worth checking out for that reason and props to Alex Preuss for getting the project up but I think that the times had moved on and maybe he wasn't quite aware of the means by which they had moved on. He has posted on Facebook a lot of stuff where he's very angry about the backlash against Gods of Egypt uh, because it is, as I said it is a passion project of his and to kind of respect his upbringing and his the land of his birth but um, I think he's calmed down a little bit since then and uh, I, I wish him real luck on his future projects I mean he's done Dark City of course, iRobot which is kind of almost a remake of Virtuosity and a number of other things but um, yeah I think he's got a great visual style and I think he's definitely somebody who should be given another chance in Hollywood I don't think that he may get that because of the lack of success that Gods of Egypt has had but nonetheless um, I do like what he does from there I went to another movie which has the start of it, the pre-title sequence set in ancient Egypt and that is X-Men Apocalypse with the usual people in it, McAvoy's in it you get a cameo from Hugh Jackman um, all the young actors playing the characters in a younger stage, set in 1983 uh, and the X-Men go up against Apocalypse, played by Oscar Isaac now I love Oscar Isaac as an actor I think he's tremendously talented and tremendously charismatic and he's going to do even better than he has already in the future. This isn't the movie that's going to get him there. He's in the makeup. He's given some very underwritten lines to say it doesn't give... Basically, all he has to do is be menacing and the gig is covered. Uh, total waste of him as an actor. Now, the X-Men movies uh, I find problematic because I don't get as engaged with the characters as I do with the broader Marvel Cinematic Universe because um, I, I very the thing is I, I read X-Men comics for a long time as well so I've got the, I'm kind of pre-positioned to appreciate um, X-Men movies but 
I think that there's something lacking in them. Uh, I, th- I don't think the characters are as engaging as they should be, based on what we know of them. Uh, special effects, of course, the top drawer and all of that kind of stuff works. Uh, you know, having Apocalypse destroy the Sydney Opera House was a bad move. It put me in a bad mood for the rest of the day. But um, again, I think it's a waste of a very good actor there. Um, it's nothing we haven't seen in other ways, in other franchises before. And I don't think that it works. It's going to make a shit ton of money, probably. But I don't really kind of... Yeah, it didn't grab me as much as, say, uh, Captain America Civil War did. Or even just the little bits of Captain America Civil War that had Black Panther in them. I think that um, there's... Maybe what's lacking is a sense of wonder. We know it's all CG. We know it's all special effects. You've got to have a little bit of something else for us to engage well with the spectacle of these kind of movies and yeah i'll give you an example and i've mentioned it before in a podcast the one second you get of the nation of wakanda in at the end of captain america civil war it's a teaser it's a little brief glimpse of what the country looks like and it's mind-blowingly good it's not what i expected to see when i knew that they were going to have a little bit in wakanda but I really like what they did, and it's got that kind of wow factor about it, which, unfortunately, X-Men Apocalypse singularly and disappointingly lacks. Now, other stuff I watched, I re-watched Christopher Guest's little movie, slightly improvised movie, Best in Show, the one about the dog show, which has Eugene Levy and... um, Philip Michael Higgins is in it, Jane Lynch is in it, a whole bunch of people in there. It's one of those kind of sly little clever comedies where it's all in the line readings and all in the improvised dialogue. It's just a, a lot of fun to watch. I actually have a DVD of it, but it was up on Netflix and I was too lazy to go and get the DVD, so I watched it on Netflix. And it doesn't disappoint. Uh, there are these quirky... Most of them are not too bright characters um, who... Uh, go to this dog show to show their dogs and uh, events happen and it's all filmed documentary style and you never get to see who's asking the questions of them uh, and it's um yeah it kind of works it, it shows you know it doesn't mock the idiosyncrasy of people who show dogs it's kind of like a gentle ribbing of them rather than mockery uh, which is the kind of stuff Christopher Bess has done a number of times in this kind of movie. And it was fun to re-watch it and just listen to the dialogue and listen to how the actors got into character and see what they did with the character, which is kind of cool. <coughs> now, I went out um, last Wednesday with uh, Sally and her friend to do some shopping over in the eastern side of Melbourne. And I went into uh, basically a, a pawnbroker, a second-hand shop, and found a Blu-ray of a live-action version of Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. Um, it's with a predominantly Asian cast, though the Australian actor Nick Tate turns up in a very important role in the film. And um, while it, while the live-action Lupin the Third isn't as much fun as the animated ones, uh, particularly the iconic one, um, uh, Lupin the Third, the Castle of Cagliostro, directed by Hal uh, Miyazaki. Uh, it's not quite up to that, but it kind of works. It was a bit of fun. I picked it up, as I said, for five bucks on Blu-ray, secondhand, uh, in the original wrap, and it was it was fun to watch. It was cool to 
see where they go with uh, the things. It's the English language version, which is what I saw, I've got the Eastern Eye Madman Films edition of it. Uh, some of the spoken dialogue, I think it may have been done phonetically, is slightly not good, so they did subtitle some of it. But once you get used to that, it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, check it out if you get a chance to. It's um, If you're into anime and if you're into kind of quirky Asian cinema, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, I really should watch more recent Asian cinema. I'm going to have to get my friend Grant Watson, who is the master of Asian cinema for a round-eyed guy, uh, to recommend some things for me. By the way, Grant is going to be doing the um, live recording of the podcast at Continuum 12, the local science fiction convention next month. So, well, not this podcast, Martian Drive-In podcast, along with Narelle Harris. So, looking forward to that. It should be a lot of fun to do and uh, hopefully a lot of fun to listen to. I did watch a documentary on Netflix as well called I Am Road Comic, which is basically um, a doco about comedians on the road and what it's like to go on the road, why they do it, what the good side is, what the bad side is. And um, a lot of it's filmed live on the road. They interview a number of um, comedians, including people like Maria Bamford and others, about what it's like to be on the road. And it's kind of interesting to get that insider's view of um, entertainers who travel and um, how it's, for some people it's worth it, for some people it isn't. They have a combination of kind of experienced um, comedians and somebody who's kind of starting out his career late in his 30s and uh, how that's kind of affecting him. It's not one of the great documentaries of all time, but it's nice to see that kind of insider viewpoint on something that we see the other side of as an audience. So I, I kind of enjoyed that. That was a little bit of um, interesting. Then I saw a low-budget science fiction movie called Paradox starring Zoe Bell. It's a time travel story um, which takes place entirely with a, with a couple of little bits of art in an underground bunker where a secret private enterprise project is creating time travel. And it, it kind of almost works. It's um, Zoe Bell, of course fantastic stunt woman uh she's not a bad little actress either uh as you might have noticed from the hateful eight where she was channeling doris day and calamity jane a little bit but nonetheless um it's it's worth checking out it's on netflix and it's nice to see these kind of small quirky science fiction movies trying something interesting uh, there's a good climax in an elevator which i kind of liked and I didn't see the final twist in the plot. Maybe because I was a little bit tired when I watched it, or maybe because it's a good t- plot twist. Who knows? But nonetheless, Paradox is worth checking out if you're interested in that sort of thing. I'm actually writing an article for Arlie Kane's Festival Online magazine about those quirky little movies that show up on Netflix, uh, science fiction movies in particular, which are interesting enough to be worth your while while not being kind of enormous tentpole blockbusters. I'm going to talk a little bit about why tentpole blockbusters work and the downsides to them as well. I've had a chat with uh, a friend of mine called Bruce Creevy, who used to do special effects. In fact, he worked on the special effects. You know when Ant-Man goes through the water pipe uh, in the Ant-Man movie? Bruce worked on the water pipe special effects and a couple of other bits from Ant-Man as well. And he's uh, I'm going to get him on the podcast because he's an interesting guy to talk to. I'll probably do it with Martian Driving Podcast, but he's an interesting guy to talk to because he's been in the industry and he's left the industry. And the reasons he's left the industry are kind of interesting as well. 
But anyway, um, that's about all I've watched. So I'm going to take a break now. When I get back, we're going to do these in chronological order. And the first choo-choo on the track is the 1972 adult movie Deep Throat, starring Linda Lovelace and Harry Reams, directed by Gerard Damiano. And before I start, needless to say, this podcast has adult content in it. Um, Don't play it on the speakers when the kids are around. Uh, Perhaps you had a traumatic experience as a child. No, I don't think so. Nothing. Nothing unpleasant that could have could have possibly turned you off to sex when you were younger? You're getting me all wet, please stop. Oh, I'm sorry. Nurse! Nurse, uh, Miss Lovelace is done with her bubbles. Hmm. Nothing turns you off to sex. Doctor, please. I'm not turned off to sex. I enjoy it. In fact, I could spend the rest of my life getting laid. What's the problem? I don't know. Something's missing. Something's missing? Yes. There should be more to it than a lot of little tingles. Tingles? I want to hear bells. Bombs. And bams bursting. Rockets red glare. Bombs bursting in air. In truth to the light that our flag was still there. <laughs> be serious. Yes, your problem. You say that you want more out of sex than just a lot of little tingles. Yes, I want to hear It's deep down in the bottom of your throat. Mm. <laughs> now, now, Miss Lovelace. R- uh, listen, having a clitoris deep down in the bottom of your throat is better than having no clitoris at all. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> Suppose your balls were in your ear. <laughs> but then I could hear myself coming. <laughs> In 1975, uh, three years after Deep Throat came out, Kenneth Tynan, the great essayist and theatre critic and um, writer, uh, produced a a book of essays called The Sound of Two Hands Clapping. And in that, he's got a really nice little um, meditation on pornography called In Praise of Hardcore. Now, the essence of Tynan's argument in that is that Works of art are there to elicit emotions from the audience, whether it's horror or comedy, laughter or sadness or um, any kind of emotion. Art is, the function of art is to do that. And Tynan's argument is that why is not the function of art also to sexually arouse people? Why can you horrify them and scare the fuck out of them in a cinema? And that's considered an okay thing. And yet, to sexually arouse somebody with um, erotic imagery and erotic acts on the screen, why is that less worthy than scaring the fuck out of them? And I can see his point, and I agree with his point. Um, There are limitations, of course. I think that with adult material as well, the means by which it's produced and the circumstances in which it's produced are important as well. Uh, Everything should be consensual. 
people are working and as with other types of film should be treated with respect and courtesy and consideration which of course doesn't always happen in mainstream cinema as well as we all know but basically all other things being equal pornography is as legitimate an art form as other works of art and by saying all other things being equal equal if everybody's consenting if everybody's empowered by what they do if people are treated as professionals if all of those circumstances are the same as they would be for um any other theatrical production or cinematic production or anything like else else like that then erotic art is as legitimate as any other there are of course people who disagree with that there are people with religious objections there are people with philosophical objections and yeah that's they're entirely um entitled to those opinions nonetheless my viewpoint is that erotic works of art or indeed of entertainment are valid as long as the under the circumstances in which they're made people aren't coerced exploited and abused and while i'm on the subject you really should check out that book of essays if you can find it because there's um another essay about nicole williamson entertaining nixon in the white house there's one of about noel coward another one about lenny bruce another about uh, eric morcom ethel merman mylena dietrich roman polanski um laurence olivier and a, a bunch of other different subjects there's also an unpublished interview with Tynan in um, 1970, which Playboy did but never put into an issue. So it's a, um, it's a quite a good essay book. I love Tynan's writing. Um, I don't always agree with uh, his viewpoint on things, but nonetheless I found it really interesting that he wrote um, a very learned and very knowledgeable essay about hardcore. One of the reasons why he had an interest in this as well was he was very much into spanking and things like that, but also he wrote part of a groundbreaking theatrical work called O Calcutta, which appeared in the early 1970s. It was very scandalous. Um, a comedy, there were bits of comedy and all sorts of other bits and pieces in it. It was almost a cabaret-style um, show with adult material in it, which was very kind of groundbreaking for off-Broadway at the time. But having said that, that's where I'm coming from. I, I think that pornographic movies should be treated... Um, with as much respect as other works of art, as long as there's no exploitation. So that brings us to um, Deep Throat. Now, Linda Lovelace has said that she was exploited during the making of Deep Throat, but everything I can see, and I've looked at a number of sources, says that the exploitation was done by her then-partner, Chuck Trainer, who later went on to marry um, Marilyn Chambers, and she also said that he was an exploitative junkie bastard uh if you have a look at the movie lovelace for instance or inside deep throat the documentary done about deep throat you realize that chuck trainer was a piece of shit basically and um he did uh beat up and exploit and abuse linda lovelace for a number of years but in the same sense, if I was doing a movie, say, starring Judy Garland for the podcast, which I haven't done, I really should at some stage, the fact that she was abused and exploited and ripped off and treated and tortured almost by the MGM for a number of years is just as invalid. So I'm, I'm not going to kind of not talk about an MGM Judy Garland movie on the podcast because of that any more than I'm not going to talk about Deep Throat. Now, Deep Throat has a cultural importance as well. 
in that it was the fir- it was a breakthrough adult film. People, it was incredibly popular in America for a number of years. But it was the first adult film that people took dates to, kind of like in Taxi Driver, where um, Travis Bickle takes Sybil Shepherd's character to an adult film, but a lot more, lot less cool, lot less icky than that. Um, it was a date movie. Famous people went there and said that they went and saw it and talked about it on uh, TV talk shows. They didn't talk about the content of the movie, but they were upfront and honest about having seen it in interviews. And in that sense, it started a movement, well, not necessarily a movement, but a viewpoint called Porno Chic, where adult films were starting to be seen by mainstream audiences, mums and dads and um, young couples, not just single guys in raincoats. And this is all part of that kind of liberation of the 60s and 70s. In fact, the stars of all three of the movies I'm talking about today were basically hippie chicks. Linda Lovelace was a hippie chick, uh, Marilyn Chambers was, and Georgina Spelvin, though slightly older, was living the kind of bohemian um, hippie lifestyle. She was an anti-war protester, for instance, in the late 60s and early 1970s while living in the meatpacking district of New York. They were all of that time and were all part of that peace and love and, and free love and smoking some dope and dropping some acid kind of movement. Uh, the things got really dark in that industry when harder drugs came in. The kind of less forgiving drugs like um, heroin and uh, speed and cocaine, when they came into the um, countercultural scene, that's when things fell apart because there was just no coming back from that kind of stuff, from a cultural viewpoint at least. Now, Linda Lovelace was a person who later on um, found religion and did talk a lot about um, her abuse by Chuck Trainer and uh, how she felt exploited through the whole process of making Deep Throat. Uh, a lot of people kind of re-examine their life after having lived a while, and that's perfectly valid. It's her life. She can say with, show, save it what she likes. But I'm going to deal with the movie now and talk about it as a cultural phenomenon. Jerry Damiano was a guy who started out, he was originally uh, in the Navy during the war. He became uh, an x-ray technician and opened a beauty parlor in new york in the 1960s and from the beauty parlor he made a few kind of nudie cutie movies got into movie making and then as hardcore became legal he moved into that industry now jerry damiano uh, apparently a very nice guy from everything he had an 80th birthday party not long before his death and the stars of a lot of his movies came down to florida for his 80th birthday party which tells you something about the guy yes he was kind of a short italian guy who had mob connections and a bad hairpiece but People loved him, and he was ripped off as much as anybody else was by Deep Throat. In fact, he was given only 24... It made millions of dollars, apparently. Uh, and I say apparently for a reason I'm going to talk about in a moment. Uh, he got $25,000 for that. He didn't make money on that. It made his name so he could go on to make other projects. But um, the making of Deep Throat himself, he got ripped off by his partner, a mob guy called um, Butchie Periano, who um, basically... Deep Throat was used by the Mafia as a way of laundering drug money as well. So nobody's actually sure how much money Deep Throat actually made and how much of the money it's said that Deep Throat made was actually laundered drug money. 
So people say it made $50, $60 million. Nobody knows for sure because the accounting practices of the mafia are not necessarily the most transparent in the world. Having said that, the movie was very popular and did make a hell of a lot of money. How much it made, we don't really know. Now, the movie, the thing is a celebrity said that they went and saw Deep Throat and they were honest about it. Now, I've got a list here of people who said that they'd seen Deep Throat. Marty Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Truman Capote, Jack Nicholson, Johnny Carson, Spiro Agnew, Frank Sinatra, Barbara Walters, um, any number of them. I know Sammy Davis Jr. as well saw that. And in fact, he and Linda Lovelace hooked up at various times, as is indicated in the Lovelace movie. Uh, Sammy was definitely the wild child among the rap pack in a lot of ways. But uh, the movie's the plot is fairly simple. As that clip I played earlier suggests, Linda Lovelace plays a girl called Linda Lovelace. Now, the name Linda Lovelace was actually thought up by Jerry Damiano. Her original name was Linda Borman, uh, which doesn't really look that great on a marquee. The movie's pretty simple. She plays a character called Linda Lovelace, who finds out that her clitoris is in her throat, and the only way she can get sexual gratification is by deep-throating guys. Um, that's that's pretty much the plot of it. Uh, the doctor she goes to is Dr. Young, played comically by Harry Reams, who later was actually um, threatened with imprisonment for uh, his part in Deep Throat as various jurisdictions tried to lay some charges against him for it, and he went through immense legal trouble for a couple of years because of this. Eventually he moved out uh, to Colorado or somewhere like that, and ended up selling real estate, which he later said was worse than doing porn. Room started out as a legitimate stage actor in New York City. Uh, wasn't particularly successful and um, ended up in the um, porno movie business. Now, that because of the kind of cultural interest in Deep Throat, there are a lot of pros and cons to whether uh, Miss Lovelace was exploited during the making of the film uh there was apparently according to jerry damiano there was abuse by chuck trainer behind closed doors but then other people have brought up some concerns about the fact that she did some quite illegal now adult films including some bestiality short film before she made deep throat now i'm just bringing those up anecdotally i'm never going to disagree with a person who says they were abused because it's wrong to do so and even if we err on the side of caution we've got to assume that there was abuse there and that Linda Lovelace was somebody who had an unfortunate life in a lot of ways because of some of that abuse. Apparently she also went on to have a substance abuse problem which um, may well have been caused. Uh, apparently somebody's kind of diagnosed her based on the third autobiography she wrote, which is the um, negative one about porn called Ordeal. A psychologist um, diagnosed her based on the, the book with complex PTSD. Now, the argument is, of course, whether that was all caused by Chuck Trainer or whether her upbringing was a part of it. Um, nobody's going to know that. But at the time Deep Throat came out, nobody um, outside of a very small circle of people knew this. And so the movie was crazily popular uh it's a there's a combination of music that was kind of written for the movie and also what they call production music i played a little bit of the production music that was used in deep throat right at the start of the podcast uh it was filmed in florida uh on a six-day shooting schedule twenty-five thousand dollar budget and 
made, well, we can conservatively say millions and millions of dollars um, at the time it came out. Now, when I'm evaluating these movies, I've probably got to do this. The sex scenes are sex scenes. They're, in the 1970s, they were all, or most of them were filmed pretty much similarly. Uh, someone once described the hardcore scenes in a porn movie like two Brillo pads fighting over a hot dog. And that's, there's a, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in there. Um, there's also another person who plays Linda's roommate called Dolly Sharp, an actress called Dolly Sharp, and she kind of seems... The, the problem, here's the problem I've got with Deep Throat as a, as a movie. None of the women seem to be enjoying themselves, which is always a, a big ick factor for me. Uh, it was it was a, a very a big turning point in um, adult cinema, but for me the movie just doesn't work for that reason. One of the things that I find, and I'm going in a bit deep here, I find is a big plus in an adult film is the female person enjoying themselves. And let's assume, of course, that I'm watching a film where there are females in it. I have watched gay porn films and they do absolutely nothing for me. I'm very much at one end of the spectrum when it comes to um, sexuality. And maybe that's a hangover from my personal life. Who knows? I'm not going to go any further into that. But uh, even though the, the comedy bits in, Harry Rims does kind of have a good line of comedy. He wasn't a bad actor. He uh, wasn't given opportunities, of course, but he wasn't a bad actor. And doing the lightly comic stuff in here and, and the patter of his character makes me like Harry Reams in this movie. I've liked Harry Reams in a number of films. Of these three films, Deep Throat is the least of them from my point. It's about 62 minutes long, six minutes of which is Linda Lovelace driving around South Florida and Miami in a car while the titles go over. Yes, the whole deep throat thing is kind of an impressive physical act in the same way that more traditional kinds of sword swallowing are impressive physical acts. But there's not a lot of joy and enjoyment and um, sexiness in this film, which is, I, wouldn't, I won't say disappointing because I didn't expect much more of it, but its um, reputation has exceeded what it actually is. I think it was more at the right moment for a certain cultural movement to happen but nonetheless it's um definitely the least of the three films and also knowing what i know about um ms lovelace's life it makes it less a less pleasant viewing experience than the other two were so that then lets us move on to the second of the three which is behind the green door Without sleeping, watching till the morning comes creeping. Green door, what's that secret you're keeping? There's an old piano and they play it hot behind the green door. Don't know what they're doing, but they laugh a lot behind the green door. People think that the movie Behind the Green Door in 1973 was based on that Jim Lowe song from 1956. It wasn't. It, the, actually, the song was probably 
based on a much earlier work from 1940. Now, this work was a 10,000-word short story called The Abduction of Gloria, a.k.a. Behind the Green Door. Uh, it was published anonymously and distributed via a whole bunch of mimeograph sheets of paper, little kind of chapbooks put together, almost like fanzines, um, and mimeographed because legitimate publishers wouldn't touch this material in 1940. Now, I have found a copy of it online, so you can find that online if you want to as well. And the plot stays very similar to Behind the Green Door as we know it in the cinematic form. And as 1940s written pornography goes, it's actually not too bad. It's um, well written. It's romantic, oddly enough. There's a romance in there which is kind of weird and interesting and it's worth checking out if you've got an interest at all in this kind of stuff um basically the the plot again is simple a woman called gloria is kidnapped um off the street and becomes a part of a live stage sex show and she finds an incredibly liberating and um erotic experience and then later on um, forms a relationship with one of the guys who's in the audience who knew her because she lived in the same apartment building as him, and but they never quite connected, and yet he goes to this live sex show, which is kind of done very privately. Anybody who interrupts the show is beaten up by bouncers, all that kind of underground stuff happens, and Gloria and the guy who watches the show um, later on become a couple, get married and live happily ever after. So in that sense, it's more about people finding their true sexual natures than anything else, which is kind of very kind of, it, it plays well to a certain extent to a 21st century audience. Now, the abduction part, of course, is is a problematic bit and that kind of coercive element is very much a negative thing but the way it's framed both in the story and in the movie um in the in the movie it's told as a a with the frame story about these guys talking to each other in a diner about this story and then they tell the story and then the movie starts so in a sense it's told almost as an urban legend among guys who um before we were able to access adult material by other and much simpler means these kind of stories were told now while they're not a part of mainstream social history they are indeed a part of social history that kind of adult material that underground of adult material and underground of sexually liberated activity is very much a part of the human experience in human history and behind the green door because it goes back to a story in from 1940 has a legitimacy which makes it a, kind of interesting as well now again this is this movie is and and the story is positioned as a fantasy it's not meant to be a serious look into sexual abuse and both the story and the movie are about the sexual liberation of a person in what is very much a fantasy context. Now, of course, the stars of Marilyn Chambers, who was a model for a brief time. She was a, a hippie chick, but she modelled for ivory soap um, boxes and just as Behind the Dragon Door came out, her picture came up on millions of soap boxes 
in American supermarkets at the time. And that became very much a, um, a selling point for the movie, which um, the Mitchell brothers made. And actually, they, they were running um, an adult theatre in San Francisco at the time, Jim and Artie Mitchell. If you have a look at X-rated, the movie with the Estevez brothers in it, um, it'll tell you the story of the Mitchell brothers and, and their lives and how um, Artie killed Jim in a drug-fueled rage and um, how that ended up. But the Mitchell brothers apparently were at the legitimate end of the adult entertainment industry. They treated people well. They were very much a part of the counterculture movement in the late 60s and early 1970s. And they um, they saw erotic movies and erotic kind of performances as a legitimate part of entertainment. And you've got to remember, these guys were in San Francisco, which was the epicenter of the countercultural movement, even though the Summer of Love was 1966-1967. There was still that kind of hippie, bohemian aspects to it well into the 1970s. In fact, I went to Haight-Ashbury in 1998, and it still had a lot of the hippie vibe, even though it was commercialised a little bit. You could still tell that it was a, a kind of interesting and special place uh, in San Francisco for that kind of a movement. Now, whether the gentrification of San Francisco has impacted that since then, I don't know. If anybody knows, let me know. But I did enjoy going to Haight-Ashbury um, for an afternoon in 1998, and it was one of my cultural touchstones for my trip to America, which I really did appreciate. And I got a lot of respect for a lot of what was attempted in the hippie movement, uh, the sexual liberation thing, the um, common sense approach to drugs, the anti-war stance, the way, trying to find a new way to live which didn't buy into the same old bullshit. I mean, even now you don't have to look far to see that the economic system doesn't work for a lot of people and the way the world runs is a negative thing for the majority of us on this clay and granite planet. And that's one of the things that the hippie movement was saying. Now, the Mitchell brothers in the O'Farrell Theatre in San Francisco were very much a part of that and um, they saw themselves as kind of... Yeah, they were businessmen at one side, but they wanted to actually legitimise adult films by making um, adult films that were accessible and erotic and with some artistic value. Now, to what extent they succeeded or didn't with Behind the Green Door, which is probably the second favourite of these three films um, for me, is arguable. But nonetheless, it's got um, good film production and has that... Um, seven-minute psychedelic ejaculation sequence at the end, which, if nothing else, showed a lot of audacity to do it. And I don't mean audacity in the sense of the software I'm recording on. It was really a kind of bold move to do that. Uh, the music is better than the music in Deep Throat as well. There's a lot of kind of local musicians who came got involved with the film. Uh, I'm not sure what why they had a female mime artist, uh, in clown in a clown mask as a part of the pre-show entertainment in the movie. Maybe they were filling out the length and giving the, a friend a gig. But um, they do indeed have one of those, a female mime in a clown mask and a leotard, which is kind of a weird thing. Now, the Gloria character, even though we do see her driving around the coast of San Francisco and having a meal um, on a terrace by the bay and all that kind of thing, She's a kind of a blank canvas character. She doesn't have any dialogue at all. And that's kind of a 
serious downside to this movie in that the character is not underwritten but not written at all uh marilyn chambers a very beautiful woman at the time she embraced um her sexuality and her porn star status she did legitimate films as well in fact she also starred in rabbit a david cronenberg film which means that she did turn that corner and become uh to some extent a legitimate actress she did a, a kind of spy spoof movie i'm kind of fond of called angel of heat which is very silly, but um, a lot of fun as well, which also has Mary Warrenov in it, which is kind of cool. But um, one of the things that I, I like more in this film than I do in Deep Throat is the agency of the female character in one respect, one tiny respect. And that is that the movie, the sex scenes in the movie are set up in such a way that the woman's pleasure is in a lot of ways more important than the man's. Of course, with that kind of um, having the Marilyn Chambers Gloria character as the focus of everyone's attention, that's one thing. But there are a lot of sex scenes which are more about female pleasure than about male pleasure. And I think that may have played well to the kind of mixed audiences who went and saw this sort of film in the 1970s. You can't really have that kind of male-oriented adult film and still want to get in the couple's audiences. And the Mitchell brothers, who very much knew their audience, because the O'Farrell Theatre with the live sex shows and the live strippers and things like that, they kind of knew what worked in that context. And this movie reflects a lot of that. Now, of course, as the um, story progresses, the audience members started getting a bit anxious while they're watching Gloria be ravished by a bunch of robed women and then by a bunch of guys, including Johnny Keyes, who was um, a very well-endowed guy, uh, a black guy wearing tribal makeup and a um, boar's tooth necklace, because this is the 1970s, and that's the kind of shit they did then. So basically an orgy breaks out in the audience, which is true to the original story. That's exactly what happens in the audience in the 1940 story. So the Mitchell brothers kind of stuck to that format, uh, and told its tale as it was now the psychedelic cum sequence of course is a bit that everybody talks about as much as how beautiful marilyn chambers was at the time she kind of rode her career as a sex star off and on for the rest of her life she did um in one interview that i can find speak negatively about her experiences but in other interviews before and after that one interview she said it was nothing but a positive experience for her in her life and that um, she had opportunities based on that that she might not have had otherwise as a San Francisco hippie chick in the early 1970s. Now, not many people know this, but there was actually a sequel made to Behind the Green Door, uh, a movie called Behind the Green Door, the sequel, oddly enough. Uh, the Mitchells made it in 1986. Uh, it had no famous sex performers and uh, starred a woman called Elisa Flores, who called herself Misty Manners. Um, Flores was Artie Mitchell's girlfriend at the time, and she kind of bossed him into giving the role. Now, there's very much a safe sex theme in the sequel as well, because this is the 1980s and AIDS had come in, so all of the people in the film are using condoms and dental dams and things like that as a way of doing it. Um, the movie lost the Mitchell brothers a lot of money, 
because um, it just, for some reason, didn't work. It was the wrong time. It was more than a decade later and things had moved on a little bit. I remember in the 80s there was a, a backlash against that old material for that reason. The 80s were a weird time because of AIDS. I'm just going to digress a little bit and talk about it. Um, I was at the World Science Fiction Convention in, in the 1980s. It was held in Melbourne. And I was having a chat with a gay science fiction fan from overseas at the time. And he said that one of the problems he had as an American coming to Australia was because of that fear of AIDS and, and because of the ignorance about the transmission of AIDS, there were gay people in Australia that wouldn't even hug an American gay person because they might catch something. Um, I had no problem hugging the guy. Um, in fact, I walked around that convention wearing a badge that said, Hug, Heterosexuals Unafraid of Gays. I've still got the badge, in fact, here in the man cave. And it's very much of its time. There was a, a paranoia about AIDS. I mean, there's legitimate concerns, perfectly legitimate concerns. Um, making love and being a lethal thing under some circumstances was something entirely new to us. And particularly given that um, it was a particularly nasty form of death at the time. Of course, now we have drugs that allow people who are HIV positive to live long and good lives, which is an immense relief to so many people. It is great. But at the time, I mean, I've had two different friends in my close circle of friends who died of AIDS at that time. And uh, those those concerns were legitimate. And those are the things that changed society's attitude to adult material as well um fucking could kill you suddenly and that was a shock to everybody uh people were moving in a direction of more sexual liberation and that truncated that enormously and empowered conservative people to strengthen their case socially and politically and legally for numerous restrictions on numerous kinds of relatively well normal human activities but um, end of that rant. No, that's a straight person. No, not quite the end of that rant. As a straight person with a few friends that died, that's one thing. But for people in the gay community, the 1980s devastated them. It was a plague on the whole community. And the people who lived through that will tell you that too. I mean, I've got a number of friends who've told me what it was like for them to live through those times. And um, they were monstrous and horrible. And a lot of people to a certain extent myself included, didn't make it easier for them in some ways. I told the age jokes and things like that, and I'm not proud at all of doing so. At the time, I was ignorant and stupid and young, and I offer a blanket apology to everybody that was ever offended by a joke I made in that regard. But um, just to kind of go back to 1973, Deep Throat, I think it, it kind of works. It's, it was a direction that the Mitchell brothers wanted things to go into. They saw themselves as filmmakers, as important as Scorsese or any of the other ones. Artie Mitchell, in fact, um, had gone to film school and he wanted to legitimise what they did and their, their kind of work in the, to a more mainstream audience. And that um, obviously didn't happen. And um, they, Jim, of course, was, was killed by Artie. Wait, I've got all that wrong. Artie was killed by Jim. I apologise. I'm not going to go back and change it all. Artie was killed by Jim Mitchell. And Jim lived and Artie died. So um, I apologise for that error earlier in the podcast. But nonetheless, Behind the Green Door does have... Uh, it's an interesting film in some ways. I think that um, it's... I could see that what 
the Mitchell brothers were trying for with it. It succeeds in some parts and doesn't succeed in other parts. Um, but unlike Deep Throat, it doesn't have that emphasis on male sexuality at the expense of female sexuality. So I'm going to take another break now. When I get back, I'm going to talk about the third and the most interesting of these three films, The Devil and Miss Jones, directed again by Jerry Damiano, who directed um, Deep Throat, and starring Georgina Spelvin. I had my life to live over. It's out of the question. Oh, I know. I was just saying that if I did have my life to live over... What would you do? I would live a life filled, engulfed, Consumed by lust. You would? Yes. Engulfed. Consumed. With lust? Yes. Just walk through that door. This is the only adult film in the history, as far as I know, um to be based on a play by Jean-Paul Sartre. It's a play called No Exit, We Clos, in French, um, and basically tell, it tells the same story as The Devil in Miss Jones, but with the three characters, Joseph, Inez, and Estelle, replaced by Justine Jones, the um, kind of conservative spinster who is very depressed, and at the start of the film, we, we see her at the end of the film, but then we move on to her suicide she um gets into a bath and slices her own wrists and wakes up um being interviewed in a country house by a man who is the devil now they the devil tells her that she's there on a technicality she's lived a pure and blameless life but because of her suicide she um needs to go to hell and the devil asks her what she would do had she her life to live over again and she says that bit that I've just played there where she wants to live a life full of lust and um, passion and all that kind of thing and so the devil implying that she was going back to life takes her on that process of arousal and fulfillment and becoming um, a sexual being then of course there's the downside which um, the devil um, not being the most honest being in the universe, as the movie's universe suggests, um, has a comeuppance for the unfortunate Miss Jones. The title, of course, is a kind of a variation on the title of another movie, The Devil and Miss Jones, a 1941 comedy starring Gene Arthur and Charles Coburn, uh, which people would have been aware of uh, in 1970s and of course Jerry Damiano was very much aware of as indeed was Georgina Spelvin the star of the film Georgina Spelvin her uh, original name was Shelley Graham she'd done legitimate theatre she was in the chorus of things like The Pajama Game and the original stage version of Cabaret but um, in the as the 60s ended and the 70s began she was living in the Garma district sharing a um, flat with a bunch of other people and became involved in the hippie um being a hippie being a part of the anti-war movement and things like that and she um she was 36 at the time the movie was made which made her quite old for somebody in adult movies but then she'd done a nude scene in a 1957 film um which was actually an insert in a french film 
called La Collegienne. They did an American version and wanted to tart it up with a little bit of nudity. And so she had a, a topless scene in that in 1957. And then she was um, you know, kind of working as a, as a dancer and actor. She did polio as a child. And um, in recovering from that, she became a dancer. If you get a copy of it, her autobiography is kind of cool too. It's called The Devil Made Me Do It, obviously. Uh, and, um, yeah, she's she's got her, her head screwed on straight. She went through some bad patches as well in her life. But like everybody who kind of survived the 1960s. Uh, but she's been married for about 16 years now to the one guy. She's 80 years old now. And um, really does have a, a positive viewpoint on her career and the choices she made. Now, even though the ending of this film is very much a bummer, this has the best acting in it. Georgina Spelvin acts really well as Justine Jones. She's um, the, at the start. You see the depression of her uh, as she prepares to commit suicide. Um, she portrays the emotions of the character really well and um, she really makes us believe in the character and the arc she's going through, which is really kind of um, interesting as well. You don't expect good acting in a porno film. Uh, there's so many examples of bad acting in it. But nonetheless, this is an example of good acting, lifting the material as well. Yes, it's also based on the John Paul Sarch play, but um, in a, a porno context, in fact, there are a whole bunch of different porno adaptations of classical works. Of course, the, the most easily to mind one is the Bill Osco Alice in Wonderland with Christine DeBell, which I've talked about on a very early Paleo Cinema podcast. Um, there are also other ones as well. There was the opening of Misty Beethoven, which was basically um, a, a humorous and um, X-rated version of Pygmalion or My Fair Lady, if you want to go with the down-market version. So they, they did a, a number of these films, which were, the people who made them, obviously, were quite literate people, and decided to make adult film versions of more classic works. And, the, and there are a bunch of different ones. I mean, there are a lot of the farcical stuff um, in a number of films, like Champagne for Breakfast and other things like that, were kind of French farce material, or even borrowed from Shakespeare's comedies in some um, examples. There were really... A number of films here from people who knew literature and were making adult films and, and decided that they were going to make different versions of um, classic works as adult movies. Not just the way that um, nowadays people make you know, versions of Adventure Time as a porno and things like that. These were kind of complex and nuanced versions of it. And indeed, this one very much is. And uh, of course, the core of the matter is. Georgina Spelvin's acting and um, her character of Justine Jones, um, one of the most complex characters in adult film anywhere. She really does do a, a fantastic job of it. But um, even though she you know, does find sexual fulfillment and find her sexual nature during the film, there's still that underlying sadness because of the um, the bits we see at the start, which is her suicide and, and who she was. And from a life of abstinence and righteousness, she kind of goes totally the other way. There's no balance there. And the movie's very much aware of that, the fact that she's kind of gone to the other extreme rather than finding a, a happy and fulfilling medium. But that, of course, is the devil's plan. The making of the movie was kind of interesting too because everybody basically lived on set. They filmed it all in a house that was getting renovated. They rented the house even though it was half renovated. And everybody kind of 
lived together. They all kind of camped out on couches and beds and cooked communally. And, and during the making of the film, they kind of bonded as a dysfunctional kind of family to a certain extent. Um, and other actors came in, like um, Mark Stevens, who was a close friend of Georgina Spelvin's, came in and did some stuff in there as well. Harry Reams, of course, um, who had just had the enormous success of Deep Throat a year before, came in playing the master, the guy who teaches her about her sexuality. Very different role than Dr. Young in Deep Throat. And it does show that Harry Reams, as an actor, had some range as well. Uh, the character, even though he looks the same as the crazy Dr. Young, it's very much a different acting role by Harry Reams. And he doesn't kind of just cash a check on it either. His, char his character is kind of very scary in a lot of ways and forceful but um not in a kind of sexually exploitative way kind of um he, he's giving her what she's asked for in a sense and his character is kind of cold and demanding and and um a harsh taskmaster if you know what i mean but um yeah the devil miss jones uh, again there were sequels as well because basically anything that was successful in that old um, cinema had a sequel attached to it at some stage and um but nonetheless it, it does hold up quite well now it's um there are parts of it that are very erotic and, and in some ways much more erotic than and of course this is all subjective than in the other two films but again um the character and the, and the kind of personality of the central character is essential to the movie the porn bits are a part of that process. There's actually, they're incorporated into the plot of the film. They're not just extraneous to it. Of course, you could say the same from as with Behind the Green Door. But in this one, the sexual liberation of the character is ultimately her downfall. Not because of herself, but because the devil is a cunt. Of the three films, this one has the best cinematography. It's beautifully filmed, and it's um, it's actually holds up well as a piece of cinema. Yes, it's erotic, and yes, it's a, um, in a sense, a skin flick. But of the three of them, it's the least um, icky in some ways. There's not an area of the film that you can really say is negative from portrayal of female sexuality, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I mean, these three films are significant in the sense that they were the first of their kind and they show us a world that might have been. VHS, of course, and, and videotape stuff killed the adult film industry, as Boogie Nights shows us, as indeed did um, HIV when it came through. Had things gone on without those two innovations, one very bad and one not so bad, then maybe the... the adult film would have had a legitimacy that it doesn't have and now of course in 2016 we have a world where the best adult material available is made by women if you look at any analysis of adult films in 2016 then you're going to see that the kind of most honest stuff and the least likely to have artificial implants and all sorts of other weird things like Botox and that are movies made by women they have show real women's bodies they show real women's sexuality in them and even though behind the green door deep throat and the devil and miss jones were flawed and of their time they 
in a sense, led to a world where people can access adult material in most places. Unfortunately, at a, at a stupidly early age in some cases, but for kind of you know, consenting adults, material is available and incredibly broad. And if nothing else, the accessibility to adult material has showed us how broad the range of human sexuality is and how people's um, fetishes, even though private, are, as long as they're not coercive and or involve people who can not consent, then you know, we have, we're a broad animal in a sense. Um, the things that turn us on are, are very vast and different in some cases, very similar in others, but one way or the other, people um, do have a range of sexualities, a range of interests. Some people are asexual, which is perfectly legitimate, but other people um, do have passions that are legitimate choices in life and the availability of adult material and having a society which accepts human nature within certain well-known limits is not a bad thing. We're, we're becoming better at these things than we used to be in most societies. And these three movies are the first baby steps in that not necessarily legitimization of erotic material, but at least a kind of covert acceptance of it so that's about it this time around thank you for listening uh it wasn't an easy one to describe these three but i persevered and i got through it uh thank you of course to the patreon subscribers who support the podcast i'm sorry i haven't yet updated the patreon cast list i will do so but this week has been a nightmare for me in some ways and very difficult in others nonetheless Thank you again to all of the Patreon supporters. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash paleocinema. Support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month, which works out at like three cents a day. Uh, and in the meantime, look after yourselves. Watch an adult film if you want to. If you don't, that's perfectly okay as well. Watch good films, watch bad films, enjoy films. Reach out and talk to people uh, if you need to, if you want to, or even uh, go out and break bread with people. Having a meal with people is one of the coolest things I know. Even if it's um, somebody you don't know very well, go out and have a meal with somebody. And um, it's never particularly a bad experience, except when they chew with their mouth open. Uh, And I'll catch you guys again in a week with another martian driving podcast in two weeks with another paleo cinema podcast in three weeks with the live recording of martian driving podcast from continuum 12 well live recording in the sense that i'm in front of an audience with two other people in there um take care of yourselves and i'll be back very soon with more talking about movies and now here are the podcast credits i'd like to thank tom our focus puller sarah our special effects technician Ian, the caterer, Grant, our Technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master, Morris, our musical director, Jan, our dialect coach, Armin, our key grip, Matt, um, our rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine, our scientific advisor, Julia, our casting director, Chris, our camera operator, Christopher, our gaffer, Miss Jane, the wardrobe mistress, Tansy, our foley artist, Alyssa, our location scout. Mark, our second unit director. Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tamora, the donut wrangler. Tim, the New York unit director. 
Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor, Steve Solomon, our werewolf consultant, Dylan, the goat wrangler, Eric, our set security lead, Richard H., our set photographer, and the two extras, Mark D. and David L. Thank you to all of the podcast supporters. Thank you.